I wonder where she's been. Hey, girl, what's wrong? Timmy, what's Lassie saying? Dad, she's saying that members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals and that their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. That a girl, Lassie. Timmy, let's get some rope. They need our help. No, Dad, she says that Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. So you should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane, Dad. Atta girl, Lassie. So, David, I'm not sure how you made the connection, but apparently to celebrate the, uh, what, 40th anniversary of the Cessna 150, you've decided to trot out some more TSA uh, abbreviations. So, Oh, no, that was an episode in, in honor of episode 150. Oh, episode 150. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, oh, oh the, I get it. The Cessna 150 is actually, you know, about 50 years old 50, now? Well, it, whatever it was, it, it celebrates some decade thing at Oshkosh this summer, so I thought that's what you were making. Okay, in honor of episode 150, well, that's good, too. Um, <laughs> so lay them on us. What do you got? Oh, well, and I'm just starting from uh, a post that uh, goes back into June when uh, Ruckin gave us Take Shoes Alf. Yeah. I like that. Take Shoes A-U-F-F. Uh... To slow and annoy. That's that's and a I lot put of in my... rent since two thousand and three. Right, uh, Ter- terrifying sensible Americans is is pretty good. <laughs> that that that's really good. That was from Eagle Pilot. Yeah. Uh, oh, and and to slow and annoy was also from Eagle Pilot, who's weighed in pretty good. Mountains to skies, terminally starving aviation, or terminally starving America, or I'm not sure. You can't, I, you can't use that one. You can't. Yeah. I, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna bleep myself here, and it's a letter that starts with Tango, and uh, uh, ends with Delta, and you can fill in whatever uh, remains. Uh, but it'd be beep, suckers of America. Here, here's here's what I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Why why would anyone want to suck on a toad? <laughs> Because uh, some of them got that uh, that uh, chemical juice there that uh, makes you. Yeah, those are frogs. See, I oh, like I guess that is frogs. You're right. It's not. It's not uh, there's a soaking pilot weighed in with one. The suckiest administrators. Yeah. Oh, and that that mountains to skies. Yeah, for the. Beep, oh, there's there's three pages of this. I didn't catch that part. <laughs> yeah, there's more to come. Torturing uh, smart aviators. That's not bad either. That's Mountains to Skies again. Uh-huh. Uh, Bill from Vermont taking suppositories, anyone? And I can hear the rubber gloves snap right after that. <laughs> yeah, you going to use some lube with that or what? And it's not the tasty stuff they advertise on late night TV. I'm sorry, David, uh, there's tasty stuff? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, man. There's there's male-female lubricants that, when blended, create an they, unusual sensation. Well, there you go. Too have, much information right there. Yeah. Yeah. They have these these uh, stores that sell um, 
uh, such accoutrements uh, in, in various strip malls around the country now. Well, yes. man, you can see ads for this stuff on prime time hours on some of the cable channels. Don't you his love that? Hurts, his and don't hers. You, don't you love that couple that's talking about the, uh, uh, you know, ha, ha, a little bit extra size wouldn't hurt either. You know, I was like, come on. <laughs> get, get a grip. <laughs> there are listeners I, out there now who are just saying, please, please, guys, talk about the weather. Don't talk, talk about, about this. Flying. Talk about something else. <laughs> Welcome, folks, uh, to let's episode. Talk about airplanes. Welcome, folks, to episode 150 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Recording. This could be fun. <laughs> yeah. We're recording this episode on uh, on uh, Friday, August 21st, 2009. And uh, for joining me here in the virtual hangar are a couple of my good friends. First of all, Dave Higdon's out there talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, David. Good evening, everybody. Happy 150th, uh, Jack, Jeb, uh, all of the great listeners that have uh, made this uh, journey to 150 and haven't uh you know, disintegrated into a quivering mass of jelly yeah. babbling in the corner. Well, it's not uh, simply 150. Let's come back to that in a second here. Um, let me first say uh, hi to uh, Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Can you hear my cars driving by? I'm sorry. I, had the I, I, I do hear I should cars close the window by. a little bit here, it's, but it's well, really warm here. Hi, Jeb. Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing? Sarasota, Florida. I'm, I'm spiffy. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. And, and, and I would act, I would I would take this opportunity to echo everything Dave just said. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're, this is our 150th episode. Uh, it, what a long, strange trip it's been. Yes. Well, you, see, uh, you guys are very in, very in the lead here. Um, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm talking to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire, uh, where it's been brutally hot and humid, but Jeb doesn't care because he thinks it's always hot and humid this time of year. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 It's not that I don't care, Jack. It's just that I'm not sympathetic. I understand. Uh, but I have, to, I have to warn everybody. I'm going to be – I'm sitting here um, in my uh, – on my second floor uh, just office don't say window. Your, just don't say in your underwear. No, no. No, no, no. But I am I'm looking out my window and watching the remnants of a really, really cool thunderstorm that we just had passed through here. We've, I've, I've got a picture of Jack sitting there with one of those Mexican wrestler masks on. Yeah, no. But the lightning flash Mexican is still going on out my window. And I'm, I, I may occasionally go, ooh, ah, and that'll be what that's all about. <laughs> uh, we'll be prepared for that. Okay. We, we, we'll, we'll know it's definitely not something funny either one of us that's says. Right, because yeah. that just never well, happens. Um, burying the lead, uh, 150 is very yeah. impressive, and we all yeah. pat ourselves on the back. But what's really most notable, all kidding aside, uh, is that tomorrow – is the third anniversary of the first time we ever did this podcast. Uh, oh, it, my God. This is our third birthday. Uh, so We start uh, kindergarten next year. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. I guess it would be four. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, talk about long, strange trip. I, I you know, I had high yeah. hopes for this podcast when we started it three years ago. But even I don't think I was thinking three years. And, uh and we just seem to be on a roll. Like, you know, they're not going to be able to get rid of us for a while yet. Uh, so... Uh-huh. Uh, what do you think? What's it been? How does it compare to what you expected? And we, you know, I, I don't know. I, in a lot of ways, I've learned not to have ex- expectations in the last several <laughs> years. <laughs> so I, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I don't know that uh, uh, I really given. I really gave it that much thought. I went into it. Um, hey, I, I, an opportunity to chat with two of my favorite people. About yeah. some of my favorite things, and um, what could be what could go wrong? 
and it's it's been uh, um, pretty much the same throughout. Um, I, I, I'm having a blast. I'm enjoying it, and uh, I hope our listeners are. I I, I, I hope David and, and Jack are, and uh, I can't think of anything. You know, I, I think of several things I'd rather be doing, but I can't think of anything <laughs> that is as much fun consistently. Mm-hmm. David, how about you? Well, you know, Jim kind of hit it on what caused me to buy into the whole concept to begin with was, hey, get a chance to continue. Like, Jeb and I kind of continue on talking to one another and communicating all year anyway, but not like this. Uh, But you, Jack, you you know, you and I and and you and Jeb, it was kind of mostly an Oshkosh love affair. Absolutely. So the idea of us continuing this through the year sounded like fun. As far as the podcast part of it, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, we'll humor Jack in six weeks. This will go away. And we'll just, get, we'll just yeah. get together and shoot the breeze on the uh, on the phone. I, I was uh, going to sugarcoat it a little bit better than Dave, but that's, that, was, that was kind of sort of my thought, too. Well, you you got to think back to that first time that you mentioned this in 05 when we were driving up to Nakashima's in Appleton, Wisconsin, and you lean forward in the middle of some great discussion between Jeb and me about the state of the GA industry uh, the night that we put our first daily out at Oshkosh that year and said, guys, this would make a great podcast. And Jeb and I looked at one another and went, what? You know, a podcast on the internet, like a radio show. We, we could get together and let you guys talk. And it was like, oh, yeah. People <laughs> will tune in and download something deliberately to hear us BS. Sure. <laughs> and we put you off for a whole year. And then you came back the next year in 06, primed for bear. And it's like, well, I can talk to Jack and Jeb every week. And, you know, four or five weeks, you know, the, the, the new will wear off. Jack will go, oh, well. Yeah, you know, and it'll be over and, you know, the conversations will continue and the rest of life will go back to normal. Little did I know about our capacity for self-abuse, flagellation, humor. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. Or, or the potential to build up the kind of, uh, of audience space that our, our listeners have rewarded us with. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of like shocked and amazed that three years later we're, we're all still married. <laughs> uh, speak yeah. for yourself. Well, in part, I'm, sure, uh, I'm part I'm of talking about to each other. Yeah, no, no, I know. I, I know. You, I we know you are. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm. I haven't bought into it. I'm just leasing right now. It's, yeah, he's still <laughs> checking it out. His whole, he's he's reserving judgment. He's reserving judgment. What uh, is there? Any? Uh, I'm, we're going to move off of this pretty soon. Talk about regular aviation stuff. But uh, I just kind of want to reminisce for just a few minutes here. Is there yeah. anything you remember about the uh, the three years? Any any particular episodes? Any particular subjects? Any particular things that uh, well, kind of stick I, in your I, mind? I, every time I get asked this question, I'm going to come back to. Um, I guess the first time we were on the deck at uh, EAA Radio in Oshkosh. Yeah, that was uh, pretty cool. That was pretty special. Um, um, Amy's, um, uh, the time Amy was on, <clears throat> talking about her ditching episode. Um, that was a great story, yeah. Yeah. Um, there have been a lot uh, of moments. Um, uh, most of them, of course, were you know jokes I made. But um, <laughs> they always uh, make me laugh. Yeah, go ahead. But um, um, those those two uh, those two episodes stand out. Mm-hmm. 
the things that the things that kind of stick in my mind, the things that I look back on and, and I have the strongest feelings about, there's probably two, and they're not sp- particular things as much as they are kind of general things. Let me explain. Um, one is, I, when we started this, I thought we'd just kind of, you know, blather on about our flying experiences, and I thought that might be interesting. What I didn't anticipate was that we would end up with a modest but a real platform for us to... Um, try and make aviation a better place um and uh, and i'm very proud of what little role we might have played in getting the word out about things like fighting uh, beating down user fees um to the extent we have and uh you know that's trying to point. get yeah. out the vote that's and, a, that's 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 very good point jack i appreciate you bringing that you up. know so i've i'm really I, I i didn't expect to have that sort of a platform and uh i take it very seriously and i take it i try to be very responsible about it but i it's something that kind of really makes me feel it gives me kind of a warm feeling about the whole thing. The other okay. thing, go ahead. Well, go ahead. Yeah, go, I want to come back to that. Um, but I, I, I started out kind of just talking about some of the reasons I got into this and some of my my favorite episodes. But I want to come back to that. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, please. And the other thing that 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 I feel very very uh, has been very fulfilling to me. I mean, very fulfilling um, is the. It, it takes me by surprise still um, that when people come to us and say that because they listen to us talk about flying and about our passion for aviation and our love for the whole thing, they've gone out and started lessons or resumed their training. And I just think that's awesome. And I just yeah. I'm more proud of that than maybe anything else we've done with this podcast that that we've communicated our you know, this is not just, you know entertainment i mean i hope it's mostly enter- i hope it's some- somehow entertainment and if it was only entertainment that would be fine but the fact that we are communicating something about our passion for aviation and 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 how we think it improves lives and uh, and getting people involved i think that's terrific i'm very pleased very proud of that too so that yeah, was that's... one of the scary things for me early on uh as soon as we started to pick up listeners as soon as some of you folks started making your voice heard that you were listening to us and listening to us and taking us to heart, uh, I kind of went into this, okay, this has got to stay fun to stay interesting for us mm-hmm. and for, for the people that have tuned us in. But uh, really got to be on as much as possible about what we talk about and, uh, you know, Try try to be knowledgeable to the extent that we can about things that we say, uh, but also to recognize that we do have an opportunity here. That, and like you said, the, the user fees was just one of them to actually kind of press people to, you know, if they feel the same way, uh, to say so. If they don't feel the same way, to say so. <clears throat> Either way is okay. Well, uh, th- this is, this is hangar flying, and in. Yeah. in- in, in perhaps a, a modernized, uh, perhaps bastardized form, but um, in hangar, fly, hangar flying um, traditionally has been used to impart information. Yeah. Um, how do I and, make and a short mold opinions? Now? Right. You know what, what's trickiest about X airplane or or this particular airport or uh, landing downwind or you know that's where you. You try to pick up some knowledge. By no means uh, do we have a lock on any knowledge, but um, we don't mind disseminating some information on occasion either. Yeah. And where we've been there and done that, even when it's been embarrassing, uh, yeah. to be able to you know have some 
muscle behind what we say based on having been there and done that uh and, and people pick up on that that's it, it it's more responsibility than i expected going into this well yeah but it's also made it among the more gratifying aspects of it but mostly i'm just in it because it's fun it's good good wholesome bs yeah <laughs> now i know that you guys you're on a full trade that's right you, you guys don't even listen to the current episodes so i'm sure you haven't ever gone back to listen to the old ones but i i just have to tell you it's really interesting to go back and and i confess i haven't listened to the entire episodes but i went back and was tasting like episode number one and it's really interesting to listen to the first few episodes i mean they were okay all right they were okay but i i think we've gotten a little better at this over the last three years um, well the first two man i felt like crosby stills nash at uh, at woodstock it, it, scared bleepless, man. It, well, see, now well, that's, that too. it's interesting. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. I, know, I wouldn't characterize it as fear, but we were all being very serious. It was like, you know, this is, we're on a talk show and we're very serious here and we're on the radio and oh, we've got to be, you know, and it's, uh, um, it wasn't as, uh, as. Thank God we got over that. We're much more comfortable with it now. Yeah. And that, the surgery to remove that bone from my head was expensive, <laughs> but it was worth every penny. I'm wow, looking at the that, show that notes. Bone was in your head. <laughs> I'm looking That's at not the, the part of anatomy I would have guessed. I'm looking uh, at the show notes from episode number one. Episode number one, we entitled it <laughs> First Flight." August 22nd, 2006, uh, the things that we talked about. Uh, we introduced ourselves uh, because we talked about AirVenture Today, the newspaper, because that's one of the big thing we had in common, or that all three of us had in common. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, AirVenture 2006, which had just passed. We talked at rising avgas prices. There's a story that never ends. Uh, we talked about a, a new airport in Utah. We talked about a fight over an, at an airport in New Jersey, uh, and uh, there's another story that will never end. We uh, the the show note yeah, here. Really. This is interesting. Two three years ago, the show note we wrote was light sport aircraft a boon question mark. So I don't know. I, we'd have to go back and listen well, that, whether we that, were. That's, you know, that's, it, a, that's a question we can partly answer. Well, that's and that's an interesting question because this summer is the the fifth anniversary. It's actually been like um, uh, five years plus a month or so now. Uh, since uh, Sport Pilot was the law of the land, Sport Pilot and Light Sport Aircraft were, were made law of the land. And it's very interesting. I think clearly it's been a success. I think clearly also the industry hasn't matured yet, so there's going to be some, some anguish out there. But um, at the same time, it's it's been a good thing all the way around. Oh, yeah. The, the, I, oh, sa- absolutely. The safety, the safety has, been, has been good. It's not been the best, but it's it's... It's been certainly been better than it could have been, mm-hmm. um, and um, the aircraft seem to be popular. They're seeming to find um, new and different applications for them, uh, not just beyond training and personal transportation. So um, it's all good, yeah. and and here we are. You know, as, again, this summer celebrating the fifth anniversary of that. Uh, it's interesting that that two years ago, or I'm sorry, three years ago, or two years into the to the rule, some of those questions were still unanswered. Right. Yeah. We talked about uh, student pilot starts being down. We were bemoaning that fact, uh, which is another story that doesn't we go away. We still are. Yeah. We still are. We tried to uh, uh, poke a hole in the in the uh, in the rumor or the whatever that uh, that it's that it was somehow more difficult to fly since nine eleven. Uh, that uh, um, at least that's what the note here says. It says contrary to conventional wisdom, it's not really harder to fly GA since nine eleven. That's what that's, that's true. That's, 
that's, that's pretty basically much true. true. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. much true. It's 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 um, if you want to go to certain places at certain times, you might have an issue. Mm-hmm. We've been uh, and if you want to go anywhere near Washington, you need to to review some rules and some guidance, uh, and as well as as uh, complete the exam, the online exam. But beyond that. Um, well, there have really been some additional much. complications come along since we did that first podcast. I mean, the TSA, bless its totally silly ass, uh, does, <laughs> continue to, does continue to, you know, uh, massage things like the uh, really, really badly screwed up rule that says that airports that have commercial service now must require all their tenants to be background checked, fingerprinted, and badged, and each airport has to have its own badges, and badges aren't good at other airports where they're needed, and if you don't have a badge, you've got to have an escort, and it's a totally stupid arrangement. Uh, God, they just fit He's their on a roll so today. well. Yeah, I know. Wow, he is uh, on a roll. We should be writing some of this so, stuff so down. They, you know, there, there have been some added complications. TFRs it, have not gone away, but we have seen some positive movements. For example, uh, uh, President Obama this weekend is heading up to Martha's Vineyard for uh, a week of vacation. Uh, he's not taking a month cutting brush. He's just taking a week, and then he's going back to work. Yeah, but but that's, there's a TFR in effect that's really screwing up a lot of airports. There but is. for the first time, the TSA has set up a system that allows people to get inside the 10-mile ring as long as they visit a, 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 a one of the designated airports beforehand and get checked before they go in. Uh, that's a latitude that we have heretofore not seen since 9-11. Congress and it. All right, we're back. Uh, we had a little, little had take a little break there, a little, uh, a little pause, and uh, and now we're back. But does, does either one of you remember what it was we were talking about? Before? I don't at all. We, we, were, we were talking about... Uh, TSA stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 I, I remember what it was now. Okay, go ahead. Um, talking about the uh, the nuke notum that came out in the aftermath of 9-11. This, was, this would have been late 01. Oh, yeah. Uh, where you couldn't uh, fly within like 3,000 feet above or, you know, a three nautical mile radius or something like that. Of a nuclear power plant. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Stop. Um, and then <laughs> they didn't give us the locations of the nuclear power plants. That's right. That's it was basically, <laughs> guys, we don't want you to fly over these, and because we don't want you to fly over them, we're not going to tell you where they are. That's right. Well, the stupidity goes even farther because they not only said we're not going to tell you where they are. But it's against the law for you to know because now the information on location is considered classified. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's not like it wasn't in the freaking phone book. Right. Well, at all the, the best, places where there are, but suddenly it's not it's not showing up on maps and, and, uh-huh, and websites uh-huh. and it's like uh you can be punished for flying into this, so be sure you don't go over where we won't tell you where to not go over right well, right. well it, got, it got better than that because the notum or, or some reference that, that was finally published um, would name the facility and give a, a location as such like you know 20 miles southwest of X okay and X being a, a city uh, a town community something like that uh, one of my favorites though 
uh, out of this was uh, naming a specific nuclear power plant that was some direction and some distance from Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Okay, uh, that's <clears throat> that's all well and good, and I appreciate you know the effort here, folks. There is no such place as Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Oh yeah, right. It's an yeah. area. There, yeah. There's Raleigh. There's Durham. There's the yeah. Raleigh-Durham International Airport, which was not the specified location. It was Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. And it was, it was just stupid, klutzy, thoughtless, incompetent, unhelpful things like that in the immediate aftermath that um, we were all very, very concerned about in, in late 01 and early 02. Um, the those things have been tamped down. They're not so, by any stretch of the imagination perfect. Yeah. So the and uh, close out close out my picking on the TSA on a high note. At least the pressure and the sparking and 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 and, and screaming that we did since last October, when they revealed the large aircraft security program in PRM, uh, has had traction. Right, and that NPRM is not going to be acted on. They're reworking that this time. They're doing something really remarkable. It's a wonder no one in history ever thought of this before. They're actually engaging in sit-down meetings, give and take over the exact wording with people from aviation. They always consulted before, but it was like talking to a stone wall. Yeah, uh, they come That's to David's- the meeting. You talk to the wall. They'd leave and not know anything that you said there you go that's david saying something nice about the tsa um so so yes the uh the realities of uh flying in this post 9-11 world is a subject is a story that's uh, that just keeps on giving here on the podcast (laughs) Uh, and it has ever since episode number one uh finally uh we did uh, bemoan a bit uh the uh how bad the aviation the general ga industry as a whole is about marketing itself and uh, getting the word out and being and that hasn't changed either I was just going to say, I was so glad to announce tonight that it's pretty much uh, uh, pretty much as uh, abysmal as it was three years ago, with a couple of tiny and and, and should be pointed out exceptions. Uh, EAA and Sporties have done something to ratchet up the value of the Young Eagles program. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, AOPA has gotten a little more proactive on the uh, Let's Go Flying front program that it's got. That's not a bad thing either. Uh, but the industry still needs a Karen trip and a learn-to-fly girl and a learn-to-fly program that puts airplanes out touring the country, showing people in a really affirmative way what can be done through owning and, and knowing how to operate a small airplane. Uh, I'm not holding my breath that that's going to change any time in the coming decade. Yeah. Can so, I can I just modify that in one small way? Okay. Please. And I've I've just got this thing about the phrase small airplane. Um not to pick on Dave or not to pick on anybody else. I think small airplane is is um uh not a good word or not a good phrase to use. I think personal airplane is a better <laughs> it, it, phrase. Agreed. No argument there. I like it too. Uh, because because you know, airplanes come in all shapes and sizes. And we should suggest to the FAA I, that they change it from the small airplane director to the personal airplane well, director. We, we could do that too. But I guess my point is that um, my airplane is is 
small compared to a 727. It's big compared to a Piper Cub. Yes. Um, so I, you know, just just uh, damning with the faint praise of of calling something a small airplane isn't uh, I don't think helpful. I don't think it's accurate, and I think there are better there is better terminology that we can use. Well, and I agree with you 100. percent It was something that uh, our good friend uh, now Cirrus departed. Uh, Alan Klapmeyer was on a real bender about for a long time. He still yeah, is. Yeah, it's yeah. not small aircraft. It's a personal aircraft. Right. It's personal transportation system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was filling out some – I was taking some survey earlier this week, and they were inquiring about my travel habits. And, and you know, how many, ho- <laughs> <laughs> um, how many hotels have you stayed in? How many round-trip flights have you taken? And which airlines? And, and you know, I got all, I'm staying at all these hotels, but I'm not taking any airline flights. And I, I'm sure that just blew their mind in some fashion. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and if they had any idea what your patterns were, you know, right. like the distance between home and the destination hotel for a while, right? Uh, they'd kind of go, <laughs> boom, their head would explode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen, it's been a terrific first three years. I, I thank you guys for doing it with me. Uh, and uh, and what do you say we do it for another three years? That's what I'm going for. Three more years. Three more years. Three more years. <laughs> three more years. All right. Hey, so I went flying. Uh, I uh, I think I mentioned okay. that I was going to do this the last time we got together, and I did in fact go up to Southern Maine and uh, Southern Maine Aviation, that is, and got checked out in their one seventy two SP. Uh, actually, both of them, but but I only had to do it in one. Um, interesting airplane, different, familiar again. It's like you know one seventy as opposed to the Gobosh and the Satabria being unfamiliar to me, but but also these, different in a couple of different ways. Um, these were steam. This is a steam. Yeah, just to start out by saying it's not a G one thousand SP. It's a steam gauge SP. It had a, and and I wish I had made note of the brands. I you guys are really good at at at, I, at reeling off models and makes and so forth. But it did have it's got a, a KLN. Got a KLN ninety four yeah. GPS. That's an IFR GPS from Honeywell. Okay. King. It's got the KAP one forty autopilot uh, with which has altitude hold, and it's all coupled up to the nav equipment and the GPS. Yeah. Uh, and the SP came standard with leather interior and 180 horsepower. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was a nice airplane. It was fun. Uh, in some ways, it was a non-event. Um, it, it only took a little while. It took, we literally, well, we, we sat in the airplane for maybe a half an hour uh, going over systems and talking about things, and then we actually flew for about, well, for actually four-tenths of an hour, we actually flew. Um, the biggest difference is um, because it has fuel injection, uh, the, you, you prime the engine differently, which was was new to me. Um, it, uh, it it has <laughs> this is the most dramatic thing that was different to me. All right, there are count them thirteen fuel sampling ports. Oh yeah. Right. Oh man. I, I'm telling you, I, you know, so I'm I'm we're, my the CFI is kind of like giving you know briefing me on this airplane, and he says this, and I thought he was joking. I just thought he's making a joke of some sort, and I'm looking him in the eyes, and I'm realizing, oh, he's not kidding. It's thirteen, and Wait, so we're looking. Six per wing, five per wing, five Five per wing, five per wing, and three under the engine. Uh, Under the engine, yeah. And so uh, that there, you know, so that's a lot more. Where I've. Where are the five in the wing? They're all sort of near the root. They're inside the uh, the uh, strut. Um, they're just kind of like four aft and in, right near near the root. And five of them. Yeah, and then Jab, like Jab, in the wing Jab, root. I can, ex- I can explain this. Go ahead. There is one just up hill from each rib that's in the okay. wing tanks. All right. 
Okay, even though there's holes there to let water through to the other low points, and the pre-flight for this airplane calls for you to get out at the beginning and shake the wingtips so that any water can break loose from the ribs and drain all the way to the low point, those two low points in the gas collator down in the uh, engine compartment. Uh, Because of past issues with this in past Cessnas, when this airplane came back in 96 and the 182 and the 206 are the same way, uh, it pushed sales of fuel drains right off the scale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here's a, here's here, one tidbit um, that uh, I've, I've picked up over the years. You don't want to rock the wings right before you take a fuel sample. <clears throat> this no, allows you're supposed to rock wings and let it sit and, for a little and, while. And walk away. Like five, right. you know, ten minutes. Longer is better, mm. but five minutes is kind of That minimal. makes total sense. I'd never uh, thought of it before. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, the, when you shake it, the water and gas will, will flow, but they'll also uh, start to mix again. Yeah. It'll separate out after about five minutes. And if you shake it enough that the water is indeed in the low spot, you'll get it all out. But don't shake the wings and then immediately go, go sample the fuel. Yeah. yeah. No. And if it's, if it's vodka and vermouth... Just three shakes, but no hours. Call us. Call us. Yeah. We'll help you sump those tanks. So he said this 13 fuel sampling spots, and at first I thought, well, this is going to be an ordeal, but it really wasn't. Um, The only tip I have for people is make sure you find the biggest fuel sampling cup available because you're you're going to end up, even being very careful, you still accumulate a fair amount of fuel. uh, At least you don't have to pump the floats out. Yeah. So and did uh, this 172? Did it have a big multifunction display too? Yeah, it had a big uh, in on the center oh, panel. Oh man, it has, it's got the KMD 550. Is that what it Those is? Those are yeah. great, man. Yeah, yeah. I, and I we didn't get a chance. He kind of gave me a quick briefing on how to do the, the most simple things with it, but then we did, we just stayed in the pattern when we flew, so I never even looked at it again. Um, well, you know, there's a there's some good news here for you. Yeah. Before you rent that airplane again, because uh-huh. they've got manual links uh-huh. on the airport website, so you can study the manuals right. online yeah. for the yeah. autopilot can, the GPS. Multifunction display is really easy to use. Yeah. but You can go straight to the King website, bendixking.com, and mm-hmm. navigate around, and you can find their official version of yeah. that manual for a free download, yeah, too. That's a good idea. So, we'll do that. We'll uh, do that. That's, that's, you know, that's always good information to have available. Um, you never know, you know when you might need to look and, at that. And if you find that you're really serious about using the KLN94, uh, let me know. I've got a friend that sells a special manual on using that. Oh, really? Okay. And it's a it's a big cut above what what's available. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's at the shows all the time. Yeah, I remember that company. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. fired it up and uh, taxied out, and he just wanted to see me fly it uh, real quickly. So we uh, we went down and did a run up and uh, and launched and. Uh, we did one time around the pattern. Um, it, it felt the only thing – it was a little heavy on the controls when I first rotated. I think the, the trim was not quite right for the weight we had in it or well, whatever. It's probably a little bit heavier engine installation. Too. Yeah, but you, but yeah, but I had set the uh, the, the uh, elevator trim to the takeoff setting, so you would have thought that that would have been kind of thought through in advance. But it was it was a little control heavy on the controls, but I just trimmed it out. That was fine once I – so I just have to find out. Yeah, right. that, that, that's something that's going to vary a little bit from airplane to airplane. Yeah. So that was on fine. Jeb's, on Jeb's wondering about the engine engine being heavy, uh, heavier. On that model airplane, the uh, Standard and the SP both use the same engine. The only difference is the propeller and the red line. And the fuel injection. No, they're both fuel injected. I'm sorry, you're right. 
Yeah. So uh, once I trimmed out that uh, a little bit of weight, a little bit of heaviness in the controls, it flew. It was very, very comfortable. I, you know, I somehow expected it to be, I don't know, heavier or seem faster or more, more, more of a handful or something. And it really wasn't. I was very comfortable. No. I, I was. You know, on, there, I, there are very few airplanes in the world that are more well balanced and harmonized for for their job than a 172 yeah. and and the Cherokee or the the mm-hmm. Warrior Arrow. Uh, uh, Archer airplanes because yeah. they're Although just so to, well designed for their job. Twenty years ago, after getting uh, or nineteen years ago, um, right after getting my private, uh, I pretty quickly transitioned because I'd done almost all of my training. Well, basically all of my training in one fifties and one fifty twos, and uh, and one of the first things I did uh, after getting my pr- uh, check ride was transitioned uh, and got checked out in the one seventy twos that the club had. Mm-hmm. And I, I never was comfortable in it back then. I, I at the time I felt maybe it's you because know, I had so much one fifty time. They just seemed it's heavy and like a big boat, and I was just uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Funny you mention that because I had much the same. I mean, um, I got my my private in a one fifty, one fifty two. I don't remember which. I think it was a one fifty, and um, played around a little bit. I, I flew the Skyhawk. I flew the the Cherokee. Um, and I was comfortable. <clears throat> I, I wasn't doing anything special, you know. And I'm, I'm everywhere I went. I had a two, you know a ten knot cushion and stuff. So I was I was relatively comfortable in the in the uh, one seventy two. But I didn't fly it very much um, mm-hmm. during when I was in college and in first couple of years after I was out of college. Uh, I fly enough to you know stay tra- stay current and have a current BFR. But that was about it. And uh, it, then I started flying 172s again, and yeah. uh, uh, it was it's a good solid airplane. I've got probably you know I don't know easily 600 hours in 172s. Right. Yeah, I didn't I wasn't comfortable with it way back when, and uh, and so I then ended up getting checked out in in uh, Archer, and I flew the Archer a lot back in those days, yeah. and didn't look back to the 172 until just recently, and now I'm fl- I'm very comfortable flying this 172. Well, that, that's interesting because if. Uh they're both 180 horse airplanes, and right, right. there's a lot comparable about those two. Maybe, although I felt comfortable in the one in the in the 172M as well. So it's not necessarily just well, the end. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. The, no, the, it's, the it's, one I flew. Yeah, the one I flew most. Uh, the one, the single 172 I flew most was a 172M. Yeah, so um, good, good solid. Nice airplane to fly. I'm looking forward to going back. I almost went up today, um, and uh, we're going to have some fun times tomorrow and Sunday at uh, at uh, Sanford, uh, which maybe by the time people hear this, it'll be over with. But uh, they're having the, uh, the their annual Light Sport Aircraft Expo up there the next uh, tomorrow and Sunday, and uh, oh, cool! So they're going to have pancakes and uh, young eagle rides, and they're going to introduce sounds like fun. Introduce people to uh, to LSAs up there. I missed it last year, so I've been looking forward to it for a while. I don't know, I don't know what it is about airplanes and breakfast that seems well, so complimentary. I wonder if this is a good time to bring up um, uh, some of our, uh, one, of, one of our plans anyway, for the next few episodes. Um, to, I'll break this and, and we'll, we'll give a few caveats, but um, we, have, we have talked about, probably since maybe the second episode, um, the pancake breakfast at Ponca City, Oklahoma. Dave has has in the past been a regular there, and has has extolled its virtues on on many occasions. Um, it looks like um, you know with the gods of Continental uh, Garmin and uh, uh, the weather gods, of course, <laughs> cooperating. 
um, that we might, just might, be able to have the three of us in the same zip code, and that zip code being in Ponca City, Oklahoma. That's right. One Saturday very soon. Uh, we're not promising anything. We're not uh, suggesting that this is a lock, but we're going to be making plans, and we will update our listeners as we go along. Uh, it might be a good uh, good day to fly into Ponca City if you're in the area. Yeah, and and I, I mean, and if it happens, we know what date it's going to be. So yeah, we know we know what state it's, it's going to be. We know what we date know it is. It's, it's, and, and I, I'm in the process. I've I've sent an email to the uh, to the uh, president of the uh, uh, airport boosters organization down there, and uh, going to try to get him on the phone here in the next couple of days. Uh, to talk about what we're doing. Uh, I don't really see that there's anything they're going to have a problem with. I don't really see there's anything we need their permission from to do. Right. I think the big thing is finding out the you know, the logistics on our end. Right. Like if they don't have broadband, can we plug all of our headsets into Jack's computer? Yeah. No, we'll work that out. But it's got, uh, if it happens, it will be October 3rd, Saturday. Um, no, no, and- no, 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 no. I think uh-uh. it is, but what date would you think oh, it is, Dave? Wait a minute. The third? Isn't it the first Saturday? If it's not the first oh, Saturday, sorry, this sorry, whole plan is like... One, two, three. You're right. You're right. I thought it was the fourth. October 3rd. Uh, anyone who's out in that area who's at all interested in uh, attending the Ponca City Breakfast and perhaps having a little impromptu UCAP meetup might want to save the date. Uh, don't make any plans you can't vacate just yet, but uh, um, but save the date. Well, and, and, and here's the way we're leaning, folks, is that... Uh, you know, Jack and 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 uh, Jeb are both going to be here in the uh, Wichita area for some other business that we hope we can turn into a podcast as well. Uh, and we're going to try to cash in on that opportunity for the three of us, probably with my bride Annie, to go down to Ponca City, uh, a whole fifty-five nautical uh, south southeast of Wichita Mid Continent, to attend the breakfast to do the podcast there. Uh, Ponca City is an ILS-equipped airport, which means that weather doesn't have to be a barrier to us doing this. That is, it can be IFR, and we can go in there still, because there will still be quite a number of people smart enough to use an instrument day for a fly-in breakfast as an opportunity <laughs> to maintain their currency. I swear, uh, David would rather fly in all- on a, on We're a, going to get all the dead horses uh, in this in this 150th episode we can possibly fit. <laughs> I'm not going back through that story, but uh, just let just to let you know that weather is probably not going to be a barrier to us doing this right. because yeah. this is not something that we well, can postpone until the first weekend in November. And I, I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't imagine, for that matter, that the the weather in Ponca City, Oklahoma, on a Saturday in October is going to be that bad. Yeah, no. no so it, save the date, October third, Ponca City, Oklahoma, and uh, we'll give you more details. Designator is Papa November Charlie. And we'll give you more information about that. Uh, and uh, if we do it, we're going to go down there and eat some pancakes and say hi to some folks and record an episode to find a hangar someplace, and uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. And yeah. folks. It, this is the way. This is the way I feel about the place. Uh, all the years, all the flying breakfast and cookouts and campouts and, and and dinner parties and all that. Ponca City, over the years I've been going, has hands down the best flying breakfast 
on the planet and absolutely the best value in food that you're going to find anywhere. Hang on on a second. What time does this start? 7.30. Uh Uh-oh. In the morning? Yeah. (laughs) That's why they call it a fly-in breakfast. Moving on. Moving on. Let let me ask the question differently. How late can you get there and reasonably expect (laughs) to have a good breakfast? 7.15. Seven fifteen. We may have to go down the night before. <laughs> yeah, we can we can be at the airport at six thirty. We can be there at seven. David, David, you and I and Annie can probably be there at six thirty. Jeb is a whole other thing altogether. Oh no no! If he's under this roof, he'll be up. I have a dog. <laughs> See, all right. <clears throat> Moving on. Let's move on here. Um, <laughs> who's bigger? Who's bigger this. than Trixie, the little dog? So the, the the tragic midair over the Hudson River a couple weeks ago has uh, just become Man. a big mess. Um, if it wasn't enough of a tragedy all by itself, um, we've got – and David, you wrote a really interesting essay uh, in the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace blog um, uh, describing the circumstances of this whole thing. The NTSB and the National – what is it? It's the Air Traffic Controllers Association um, are are at odds about this because – tell us the story, David. Well, first off, I think the ad odds portion is over. I truly do. Uh, I, think that the, the, I think that the recognition has occurred that uh, NATCA, uh, National, uh, the, the Controllers Union, uh, has recognized that uh, this is not the dealing with the NTSB in the midst of an active investigation. is not like taking on the FAA under Marion Blakey or Bobby Sturgill was. Uh, that it's not their mission to dispute. Uh, it's their mission to work with. That doesn't mean accepting false information. So what happened quick and dirty was so a week ago today, uh, August 14th, the National Transportation Safety Board released some preliminary factual information on the uh, uh, Hudson River, River midair from the prior week. Uh, some of that information was mistranslated in a press release and indicated that it, 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 it left an impression, deliberate or otherwise, that the controller at uh, Teterboro was culpable for missing a call, and we already know that controller is in trouble for being on a personal phone call at the same time he was handling the accident aircraft. Uh, we now know that Teterboro and Newark controllers were both trying to contact the Piper Seneca to warn him about traffic. I think Piper, somebody Piper was Lance. stepping on somebody. Or Saratoga, Piper, I'm sorry. Lance, Saratoga. I think, actually. And I think people got stepped on. A guy never heard that the accident happened. At any rate, Friday the 14th, the NTSB released its information. Shortly thereafter, the Controllers Union, NATCA, issued a press release, very strongly disputing language that was in the NTSB's press release about the preliminary information, and then called a press conference. Uh, This was an unprecedented act by an organization that was an official, as the NTSB calls them, party to an investigation. When an investigation begins like this, there will be numerous parties. Piper, for example, is the airplane maker, is a party to this investigation. Uh, I believe the engine maker, Lycoming, is. There may be an avionics panel there representing the people that put the avionics in the airplane. Uh, Somebody from the organization that 
own the airplane or maintain the airplane is likely represented. The controllers, uh, since they, their controllers were actually actively handling that airplane, the controllers union is a part of the investigation. When a group becomes a party to an NTSB investigation, they basically sign an agreement that says that all public information will come through the NTSB and its process. Uh, NATCA went out this very strongly and very uh, uh, overtly. Uh, The NTSB, as my contacts explain it to me, had a conversation with the NATCA people that are part of the investigation. Uh, Either Friday evening after the press conference or sometime over the weekend, on Monday, the NTSB updated some of its information. Uh, reiterated to the press that official information, that stuff that's been cleared, can only come from the board. NATCA did it again. They issued another press release. They held another press conference to go head-on against the NTSB's investigative information and challenging it and starting a dispute with the safety board and the investigation going on. That's two times something that has never happened in my memory, nor the memories of a couple of my contacts at the board and a couple of people that used to work at the board years ago. So Monday, NTSB removed NATCA as an official part of the investigation. Uh, I've seen some stuff, and one of our readers uh, suggested that, you know, maybe NTSB should be a little bit, you know, less hyper about this because they did correct some information and it did reduce the, in, the 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 image of the controller being directly culpable uh fact is this investigation's a long way from done but this is the way the processes work this is the way the process is designed to work this is the way all the parties have agreed to play and have played for more than 40 years uh natca was given the opportunity to dial it back some They didn't have to come out and apologize and suck up or kiss ass in public or anything. They just had to stop. They didn't stop. They got fired. Uh, I don't think the NTSB had any choice. I don't think there was any rational alternative when the Controllers Union clearly was mistaking the NTSB for the FAA, with which it actively had an adversarial relationship that is now right now in a healing process itself. So uh, I've seen some ink that says, eh, you know, maybe it shouldn't have been done that way. I mean, the heat of things, but this is the process. This is how the credibility of the process has been maintained. Uh, there have been individual parties that petitioned to be individuals and politicians and lawyers and company representatives from outside uh, direct contact that have petitioned to be parties to an investigation in the past. Uh, typically, they've been viewed as viewed as they they kind of come in there and try to influence the investigation uh, in overt ways, and those petitions were denied. Uh, but there's never been a case that anybody can remember we can find in any record of a party being fired. Uh, it's a pay- shame that it had to happen. I have no doubt that back channel unofficially, the air traffic control experts and some fainter heads will keep the controller's perspective represented in what remains of the investigation. But I also have a 
very strong feeling that NATCA nor anyone else will make this mistake again. Right. right. Now, this does, to them being dismissed from this thing, it just applies to this particular investigation, right? Uh, yes. The next time yeah. there's an investigation that involves controllers, they'll likely be involved again. They'll be invited in again if the controllers are considered to be relevant to it. I yeah. mean, you know, if you have an accident between two 1,200 squawking airplanes cross-country, the only thing that the, F, uh, the NTSB is going to be particularly worried about is whatever air traffic control tapes show those 1,200 squawks. Because if no controllers were working them, no controllers were working them. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and I'm sure it, when this happens again, and we know it will, uh, unfortunately, that uh, there'll be a little more detail, heart-to-heart talk with NATCA by the NTSB people to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Because for this process to be as effective as it's been, it's not like there haven't been questionable findings. It's not like there haven't been you know findings that made people scratch their head and ones that people disputed. There's always disputes. But this process is very carefully crafted to be as neutral as possible to get the best possible information and make the best possible decision because improving the safety of flight depends on the integrity of these processes. Yeah. Pretty interesting stuff. Um, an unusual situation. Knock my socks off, baby. I was, you know, I have to tell you, I, I was I was a little surprised, and I, I agree with you, but I was surprised to read when you you you, you said, you know, you, you basically favored the NTSB over, over NATCA on this. I, I would have... I don't know. I mean, you know, if there, well, if, there if there hadn't been if there hadn't been uh, if I hadn't been made aware of the fact that there was a, a, a communication between the investigative team and the NATCA people saying, you know, that this is out of line, this is out of school, this is contrary to the agreement. If it had ended there, it would have ended there. Yeah. But when it repeated on Monday, that uh, you know, that's when you know it's kind of like a child challenging a parent the first time you try to explain to them what's right and what's wrong the second time they get to go stand in the timeout box yeah yeah moving on here um so uh yesterday i don't did this actually complete i'm I'm moving on to the eclipse story here uh did uh yesterday may have been the day that eclipse aviation came back to life in a manner of speaking um Yesterday was the day that a couple of Eclipse 500 owners uh, uh, and a company they put together uh, were in a position to actually purchase uh, what remains of Eclipse Aviation, and uh, and they claim they're going to uh, try and well they're certainly going to try and set up a, a system to maintain the existing Eclipse jets, uh, and uh, they'd like to even resume manufacture. What do you guys know about this? First of all, did it in fact close? Yeah, the sale closed yesterday. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, uh, so Eclipse Aviation sort of is back in business, so to speak. What What do you know about their intentions and their plans and their and their uh, ability to pull it off? Oh, where to begin? Uh, well, maybe it's a subject for another day because we don't have an awful lot of time left tonight. Well, but, here's uh, what we know so far: uh, the new company, Eclipse Aerospace, has already hired about 15 engineers, managers, and other staff. Uh, this is according to the new president of the company, uh, or the president of the new company, uh, Mason Holland. Uh, they expect to hire more on a regular basis uh, and start uh, 
the process of uh, upgrading the existing fleet to the level that the airplanes were always promised to be. And you know, some of you may not remember, but uh, Eclipse Aviation, uh, the old company, you know, first they fired an engine maker and had to get a substitute engine, and that sent them back a couple of years. Uh, then they made some other changes, radar suppliers, avionics display, display suppliers and integrators, uh, and essentially, and then they couldn't get the IFR GPS certification on the GPS engine, so they were dropping Garmin GNS, or, uh, the Garmin 400, the GPS-only box, in to satisfy the IFR GPS portion. Uh, they changed display suppliers from Avidyne, uh to uh, uh, what is it? IS and S integrated something something. Uh, so they've got several different blocks of airplanes that are in various degrees of adherence to what was supposed to be the final configuration, the final equipment. Uh, not all the Erluins, for example, had all the known icing equipment, which came along later. So that's the first task that the new outfit wants to undertake. Uh, after that, they want to get the line back up and buy airplanes to refurbish and resell, like new with a limited warranty. And then they hope to bring it back, the Eclipse 500, and back into production in six months to 18 months. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of that's going to depend on their ability to raise additional capital to hire back the workforce, which they say when it really starts to roll is going to be in the hundreds, not the thousands like it was under the original company. Uh, they think they can start turning a profit in about three months just based on the maintenance, service, and uh, uh, upgrade completion work. I, should, I shouldn't call it upgrade work. Getting the airplane you were promised into the final configuration you were promised mm -hmm. is not an upgrade. Right. It's a completion. Right. Uh, and they're in the process of trying to... Uh, you know, line up business with the existing, what, uh, the exoners of 259 existing airplanes, uh, some of which are already grounded for lack of parts or lack of service, and they all need upgrades. Right. Yeah. And the owners are going to have to pay for those, unfortunately. We saw one at Oshkosh, Jeb. Remember, we were, uh, when we were getting oh, ready yeah. to go for our ride with the uh, Navion pilot, uh, we were sitting oh, there yeah. uh, in the queue waiting to go, and one of the airplanes that landed on the runway in front of us was, uh, we were looking at come down the come down final, and we're going, what is that airplane? Oh, that's that. That's an eclipse. So, yeah. Yeah, we, watched, seen them in we, the watched, one take, before, we watched one take off before we went to uh, 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 Culver's for lunch. Today. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh -huh. maybe same one. I don't know. So uh, here's a wild card question that's kind of crazy, but it's just me. Um, did they buy everything that was the original Eclipse Aviation or just stuff related to the 500? I, I always liked the 400, the little concept jet. And, yeah. Um, and From, it, I, yeah. the best way I can explain is that they bought the assets of the old company. Uh, I, I've seen nothing that says that they that didn't include whatever research work or prototype uh, work was done on the 400, the single engine. Uh, I would but they've got their really hands. be surprised if they were going to make that one a priority before yeah, they got the other airplanes in line and started building 500. Yeah, they've got their hands full getting the 500 right, they've line got their hands organized. Full. So, anyways, well, we wish them good luck. That's because it was always a cool airplane, and uh, 
maybe now, uh, you know, kind of free of all the weird, uh, you know, burdensome ob- obligations, they can maybe make a go of this thing. And uh, I, I want to thank folks at uh, AIN uh, who did some great reporting on this and a couple of my uh, industry malls who uh, work in areas like insurance and finance that have been uh, in contact because they represent a couple of Eclipse owners that would like to get them uh, uh, serviceable and functional to their maximum potential. So uh some good information out there about it. Uh, I got no doubts about the sincerity of these guys because they own airplanes, they operate the airplanes. They want to see it, you know, not be turned into uh, interesting, distinctive oddities like the remaining starships are. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. We've got a handful here of uh, sort of on and off field landings to talk about. Uh, so. Um, in no particular order here. The first one is an on-field <laughs> landing. It's a very sad one, actually, but it's an interesting perspective. This is a uh, uh, a guy was getting a ride in a new standard D25, uh, which is a, a, a great old biplane, uh, and he was shooting video from the front, I believe the front cockpit, um, as they first taxied around and then tried to do a takeoff ro- roll and appeared to veer off, what, the left side of the runway and into left the brush. Left side of the runway. And, and it appeared like they went over a small hill and down down a hill, and it's, some, oh, it's nasty. Uh, and oddly enough, I, now there's two versions of this video out there. One version has a musical soundtrack. <laughs> uh, which, by the way, the musical soundtrack just, I found a little just mean. I found the musical soundtrack a little disturbing. All right, but but uh, yeah, uh, what me was too. music? It, what was the music? I forget what was it, but it was just the, the the tone of the song was like like made me. It was weird. Um, it's the one that's linked to here. So if you start playing it, you'll 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 hear what song uh, not, it is. Not right now. Um, oh, that's right. You've got the uh, internet. All right. Um, so <laughs> so there's another version. Apparently, a lot of people said you can sort of hear them talking in the background, particularly yeah. after after the after the actual crash, after the engine has stopped running, and uh, and I and and other people said, well, we wanted to hear what they have to say, so the guy apparently made a new version without the music, so you could just hear the voices. But what I and I didn't listen to that one, but what I could hear through the music, they didn't seem maybe it was shock or something because they didn't seem all that worked up about the fact that a they had just cheated death and b they had just wrecked this gorgeous old biplane. Um, they were just kind of like, I even heard one of them say something about any land you can rock, walk away from, you know, I mean, they were just kind of like very casual cavalier about the fact that they had just done this terrible thing to the airplane. It's an interesting perspective though, to actually see video from I, the I, cockpit. I doubt seriously that inside they felt as calm as they sounded. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's part of the pilot gen- genetic. Yeah. 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 And the, and the, and the guy flying cool in the face of terror. And then when nobody's looking, you blubber. Yeah. And then, and then the guy flying the airplane is probably certainly going, oh, I am in so much trouble now. Well, this airplane <laughs> belonged to the old, the old Rhinebeck Museum in upstate yeah. New York. This is one of their museum pieces. Yeah. Uh, standard D-25 is not a common airplane. And while I have no doubt that the... Uh, they, they have the capability and the wherewithal and will get it rebuilt and airworthy again. Uh, this is not the f- first incident that they've had in the last couple of years up there. And it really kind of makes one, gives one pause about the operation. I've never uh, been there, but I'm told it's a pretty gnarly runway to land on. Uh, that it's, that it's, it's a pretty gnarly runway to land on to take off on, but it's, it's it's plenty long enough for that airplane and plenty wide enough for that airplane. And if you watch the initial part of the video is them back taxiing 
And then when the guy finishes the turn, he's already starting out what looks like left of center on the grass runway because he got a lot more clearance on the other side when he's taxiing down. And uh, from there, it just seems like he drifts. I'm not sure whether he was looking out the right side because the guy with the video camera kind of leaned into the left or what. But it was so apparent from the camera's perspective that this mm-hmm. thing was headed off the left side of the runway, not real fast, but progressively and without reversal. Yeah. Uh, that I, I kind of made me wonder whether the pilot even looked out the left side. Uh, he was definitely behind it on the rudder call. Definitely behind it on the rudder yeah. call. It's a shame. I, I, Everybody I walked video. away. What kind of airplane was this again? A new standard D twenty five. What's that? An antique biplane? Yeah, it's a gorgeous. Oh, that's a real antique. That's nineteen thirties. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a shame. That's a shame. I've seen the biplane fly at uh, at Sun and Fun. Mm-hmm. The old biplane that gives rides there every year right. off the grass right. strip. That's one of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, uh, it's a shame. I I don't know how I feel about. Uh, flying airplanes that are that old and that 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 uh, rare. Uh, I don't know that this one's all that rare, but that's a whole other topic for a whole other podcast. Yeah, so it's rare enough, baby. Interesting yeah, piece of video. Yeah. We'll put a link in the show notes. You can take a look at it. Now we've got uh, uh, three. I think we've got three uh, off-field landings of the week here. No, maybe two. Um, but there's a couple of them here. The first one is just particularly odd. It's not simply an off-field landing. It's an off-land landing. Um, with their just. Can I can I correct myself real quick? Go ahead. I said that was yeah. a 1930s airplane. I'm wrong. It's a 1929. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh, 29. Okay. Going somewhat to the other end of the spectrum, uh, David, do you recognize this airplane? So, so, so here's the deal. I don't know how to tell this story, so here's what I'll try. All right. Apparently, there's this team of guys who are rowing a boat across the ocean or out in a bay or something like that. It's some sort of competition or oh, they were rowing around sh- England, showcase thing a, it or whatever. Was a race. So they're rowing, a, right? They're rowing right, they're this rowboat. They're trying to set a record for rowing around the island. This big performance rowboat. They're rowing it. All right. And what do they see a couple miles away from them? But an airplane crash into the ocean a small airplane uh, and i'm reading the story doesn't seem to say what kind of an air- do you recognize it david from this picture it looks i believe it's an ultralight of some sort i would yeah it's an ultralight um well it uh, it, 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 it the ultralight maybe a uh in in england and europe they have a microlight category yeah, yeah, okay right it's kind right. of between our ultralights and our lsas so this guy goes down in the water, and uh, they see him, uh, and they row over and rescue him, all right? And uh, we have a picture uh, in the story here. This is a story from uh, uh, news.sky.com, a, a British news organization, I believe. And uh, this is in the Irish Sea. Charity rowers have told how they went to the aid of a pilot who crashed into the Irish Sea just minutes after they themselves had battled terrifying tidal conditions. Oliver Dudley, part of the GBR or GB Row team, said he and his three crewmates watched in horror as the two-seater aircraft landed amongst the rolling waves less than two miles from their boat. So, you know what's, what's this going to do to their? Video? Is that guy yeah. still afloat after all this time? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's this going to do to their record attempt, though? Yeah, I know. Do they do they do they get like a do they get a mulligan of some sort because they yeah, have to rescue yeah. somebody? I uh, 
So uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how how that gets treated by the people. Oh, no, no, actually, I think it's here. So, and they actually have some but video. They basically that, gave up their record attempt. Uh-huh. It says here, uh, Coast Guard helicopters arrived a few minutes later. Uh, Mr. O'Shaughnessy, who I believe is the pilot, was treated for shock and hypothermia and discharged within a few hours. Meanwhile, it says the rowers headed to Dublin to reassess plans for their journey, which is a sponsored attempt to break the record for the fastest time taken to row around Britain. So, Dublin. Uh, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if they had any cold beer in Dublin. Yeah, I know. They had nothing you know, to console themselves. Cold beer? You're probably right. <laughs> so there we go that's uh that's our first off field landing uh landing in the irish sea and getting rescued by a rowboat i can that's... guarantee you though you can find guinness and the best poured black and tan you'll ever want uh-huh. and then this next one is uh now this starts out being a fairly routine this is in fact a very routine off field landing this is a glider that wasn't able to make it back to its to a field to a to an airport, so it just landed out in a field. And this happens all the time, and it's not a big deal. Um, the the thing that made this a big deal is that locals kind of went a little nuts, all right. And apparently, they like uh, uh, scrambled all the uh, local emergency. This could be like you know, it just occurred to me. This is like uh, this is like Alice's restaurant, all right, where they yeah, yeah. They, they didn't they needed an offer. This is North North Heartland, uh, I believe it's Massachusetts. It's someplace here in New England. Um, North Heartland, after losing the wind beneath the wings of his glider, a, pan- a pilot <laughs> landed. Yeah, I know. There's a bunch of those kind of things here. Landed the aircraft safely in a farm field yesterday. Um, but then what happened was first, first the firefighters arrived to check it out. All right. Then I believe an ambulance. Where, where, where are you reading this? Because I, I don't see a link to it's this. It's part news. of it's a, it, the, the text of a news story is down oh, in the it's comments. On the, it's posted on the Glider blog. Glider ditches okay. safely in Heartland. Yeah. And then and then apparently the emergency vehicles rolled, and then and then the the uh, the Dehart, which is the Dartmouth Hitchcock Advanced Resp- Response Team helicopter, flew in to check it out, and uh, you know it's like circles and paragraphs and arrows with you know each one telling what each one is to be used as evidence against us. This is like you know this little town needed to use all this fancy emergency equipment, so the poor glider pilot who was just doing a routine uh, landing out in a run in a field, all right, became. But my my comment about going into Ponca City IFR for the breakfast, you know, the the Dartmouth Hitchcock Advanced Response Team helicopter had an opportunity to do a little piracy fun. (laughs) Dart, don't you just love it? Yeah, Dart. Dart. Okay, okay, thank you. And you know, they took an opportunity to do a little uh, 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 do a little uh, proficiency flying there, and I don't blame them. Yeah, but this just. People used to come up on some of the hang gliding sites that we'd fly, that I used to fly regularly and, 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 and hope to fly again someday. They, so what happens when the wind stops? Oh, man, they can get stuck up there for hours. We had to feed, we had to feed one guy peanut butter sandwiches on a pole for two days until the wind <laughs> And they walk away shaking their heads going, damn, that's terrible. I wouldn't want to fly those things. Oh, you probably wouldn't. You know, I mean, God, you, you know, imagine if you got stuck up there for a week, you got to pee, you can't shower, uh, and they'd buy it and walk away. And if you saw them later, you know they were good for a beer. Yeah. Anybody fi- that gullible. And finally, just down the road from here, this is not an off-field landing. This is just a, 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 a if you can call an emergency landing routine. Um, this is at Pease, uh, Pease International 
I forget what they call it. The whole area is called the Pease International Trade Port. It's a, it's a, it's the former Pease Air Force Base. Um, and uh, airplane was uh, taking off from there the other day and uh, and experienced an oil leak uh, after climbing out and immediately turned around and came back down and landed and there was you know never an issue. We just saw a leak, you know, oil on the on the uh, fuselage and did a precautionary and everything fine. He came back and. Um, and so it's kind of a routine story. We congratulate the pilot for kind of recognizing that he had a, a budding problem and, and getting it back on the ground safely. The line that just got, just jumped yeah. out at me here on this story. Yeah. This is just a classic example of the mass, uh, you know, the mainstream media not getting it. Um, the final paragraph, final sentence of this story reported, uh, uh, anytime a pilot experiences problems while in the air, they are required to declare an emergency. This is quoting the uh, somebody from the Pease Fire Department. No, and, he's quote, quoting the airport manager. Uh, maybe. Peace, whoever yeah, he's quoting yeah, is wrong. You manager. know, I actually right. sent an email to the author. I, this is, I don't, you know, it's usually I just kind of like these things. It just happens so often. You let it roll over off your back, you know. But this one just annoyed me so much because it was so simply wrong <laughs> that uh, I was motivated to write a letter, an email to the to the author of this piece, uh, the reporter here. And I haven't heard anything back. I don't know what they, if they even care, but. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it may flash into Mr. McMahon's mind the next time he has to do an aviation emergency story. But uh, he, I will, he, will, he will contact you to get it right. I, You know, yeah. I keep telling – it's like I'm here. Ask me these questions. I'll right. set you straight. I'll explain to you what declaring an emergency means. My, in you know? my experience, they don't want to be set straight. Yeah, because they're just reporters. The problem is being calm – Factual and accurate is not exciting television. Yeah, I know. It's as as or as or newsprint for that matter. As as a wise person once said, "It's they want the sizzle." uh, Yeah, yeah, they want the sizzle. Shout outs. What do we got here? We got a whole bunch of shout outs here. I'm going to go first here. Um, We got uh, a, a posting in the forums. From a listener, uh, uh, Jay Schnood, and I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that right, but uh, uh, who has written to us before and had some interesting things in the past. This time he was commenting on, uh, I think it was the last week's episode or a recent episode, and a number of different comments, and I won't relate them all, but they're in the forums if anybody wants to check it out. But the thing I found most interesting is you'll recall that uh, that James told us the story about he got to fly the uh, the T thirty nine. Is it a T? Oh, the L thirty L thirty nine. Thank you. The yeah. L thirty nine. While he was out in the Chicago area, and uh, and uh, 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 Jay Jay, I'll just call him Jay. Jay uh, reports. <laughs> he said uh, he said my wife and daughter uh, were uh, at North Avenue Beach in Chicago when James flew over in the jet. All right. Uh, she called me from the beach to say there was a military jet circling overhead. Uh, I asked if it was blue and yellow like Blue Angels or red and white and blue like Thunderbirds, and she said, no, it was just gray. Anyways, James, uh, my wife and daughter waved hello as you flew overhead. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, That's very cool. Small world, huh? Small world. And, uh, and, and by the way, Jay, also Jeb sets you straight on the subject of uh, Wisconsin rivers named Wolf Fox. Ah, um, okay. I'll have par- to go read. Apparently, that. there are a great number of them, and we won't go into it here. Somehow, this doesn't surprise yeah. me. So that's a shout out to Jay uh, and to uh, and and a shout out by Jay to James uh, from his wife and daughter um, about how, what a small world it is. They actually saw him um, flying the jet. Oh man, I don't want that song playing in my head. Yeah. Move on. What, so, which one? Which song? 
I'm not telling you now. <laughs> Dang it. David, you want to pick one of these and go next? Uh, well, quick and dirty, this is kind of a, a, a old friend of mine, Joe Nall, who was a uh, member of the National Transportation Safety Board, uh, one of the five until his untimely death in an air crash in in uh, South America in 1989 that almost took the life of my even longer, better friend, Kenny Papard, who was sitting behind Joe. Uh, well, the National Transportation Safety Board's Bar Association, uh, which is a group of lawyers that practice before the FAA, the NTSB, uh, they have uh, created the Joseph T. Nall Award to be given annually to recognize individuals who have made a significant contribution to aviation and transportation safety. Now, there's already a memorial fly-in, a large-scale model aircraft fly-in in Joe's name uh, every year. Uh, I believe it's in South Carolina. Uh, I'm saying that without checking. Uh, it's been going on since uh, about a year after Joe's death. Uh, I can't think of... I know he'd be pleased about the large-scale model airplane flying, but I think the uh, the uh, NTSB Bar Association creating an award in his name for contributions to aviation transportation safety would thrill him to no end. And uh, coming almost 20 years after his death, I, I think it's none too soon. So I didn't. I didn't know you knew him, Dave. Um, I, you didn't point out that um, the AOPA Air Safety Foundation's annual report on the state of general aviation safety is titled in his honor, the Null that's, Report. That's true. That's true. Uh, Joe was. He was so unlike the uh, the stereotype of the uh, you know the Washington uh, official. Uh, it was a very gregarious, uh, very fun individual, very warm and engaging, uh, very much in love with aviation. Uh, he was a ground instructor, uh, active pilot, lawyer, uh, and uh, took his position on the safety board very seriously, which is why he was in South America looking at some of the things that go on, that go on down there and, and, and actually trying to help make uh, aviation safety better in South America when the accident happened that killed him. Uh, yeah, Joe and I got to be really good friends because uh, he tapped an even older friend of mine as his uh, executive assistant. And uh, it was my pleasure there for a couple of years to bump into him or see him under one environment or another just about every week. And... Uh, Broke my heart. Yeah. Uh, but that, that that happens to us in this business, and we pick up and go on. So, yeah, the, the NAL report that the AOPA Air Safety Foundation has been doing for a long time, uh, I know would please him greatly. To have his other peers recognize him in this way, I know would as well. And uh, it's uh, well-deserved. Great guy. Great guy. He's still missed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, here's a shout out that is uh, from uh, another shout out that is from one of our listeners to another listener in a manner of speaking. Uh, this is a, a reading from a posting in the forums. Motorcycles racing by out in the street here. Uh, from listener Toronado, uh, he writes in the forums. 
I got a very exciting phone call on Sunday evening. It was from Rick Mariner, Mariners here on the UCAP forum, uh, who I had met through this forum last year. At the time, uh, he was just starting his student pilot training, and I was very glad to help support him, answer his questions, and push him along since he was from the local Houston area, as Toronado is. Uh, unfortunately, Toronado goes on, uh, after a few emails and a couple of meetups at my favorite beer hall, appropriately named the Flying Saucer, uh, Rick and I somehow lost contact with each other. Fast forward almost a year to this past Sunday evening when I got a got a voicemail message. Um, I got the voicemail message that any pilot slash mentor wants to hear. Rick passed his private pilot checkride on Sunday afternoon. Uh, not only was I proud of him, but I was also deeply touched that he called me immediately afterwards to thank me for all my help and encouragement early on, even after not having communicated in so long. Toronado com- well, uh, concludes by saying, congratulations, Captain Rick. Let's go flying and then grab a line or two afterwards. So, uh, <laughs> so that's great. Congratulations, uh, Captain Rick Mariner, uh, for uh, for passing your private check ride, and uh, uh, attaboy for uh, Toronado for being such a great aviation Yeah, mentor. absolutely. Uh, yeah, good job, everybody. Uh, Toronado, uh, we understand exactly how you felt, and, and mm-hmm. man, it doesn't get any better. Yeah, and a, and a great model for all of us to uh, go out and find that friend or it, that acquaintance or whatever who sort of has the bug but is, needs a little help to move along. And, uh, and Captain Rick, uh, you know, whether you're still listening or not, I hope somebody will pass this on to you. Way to go, dude. Man, you should be proud. We are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Any others? Jeb, you got any? No, I don't tonight. I apologize. Dave, you want to pick up one more of these others? Uh, I'm going to hit them both really quick. Okay, go for uh, it. We were going to we were going to record this on uh, Wednesday the 19th. That was National Aviation Day because it happens to be Overwright's birthday, and he was the first powered pilot. So, uh, if you didn't know, now you do. Remember it next year. Go out and commit aviation. Have a good time. The other just thrills me to no end, even more so. Uh, up in your neck of the woods, Jack. Yeah. Plainville, Connecticut. Uh, city officials or town officials, as they say, and federal officials from the FAA uh, advanced an agreement this week. The town of Robertson, Connecticut, or the, the town of Plainville, Connecticut, is buying Robertson Airport, uh, reportedly the oldest airport in Connecticut. Hmm. Uh, in a deal worth $7.7 million from the private owners. Uh, the the uh, town's chipping in 96000 and this is a small town, folks. Uh, state's providing some money, and the FAA's providing the lion's share. But this is going to keep a, uh, wow, 98-year-old airport Very cool. in business in business and serving its community and in the hands of the community that can now go forward. It's got over 100 based aircraft. Yeah. It's got over 100 based aircraft. It's about a 3,600-foot strip of memory serves. Uh, We're always lamenting the loss of small GA airports because of, uh, you know, private owners that gets passed down to, you know, children who don't care or gets handed off to a corporation that doesn't care and it goes away and becomes a condo development. Uh, this is a very progressive move. Congratulations to the town. Because the voters of Plainville, Connecticut, in an election earlier this year, said yes, they wanted to buy the airport and make it a town asset. They went for it. They're doing it. 
Way to go, folks. Congratulations to you. Big yeah. attaboys. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've never been to this airport, but based on this story, I went looking for it, uh, looking, on, looking it up on the charts, and, uh, and then got a peek at it through uh, Google Maps uh, uh, satellite view. Uh, it's, it's not a tiny airport. I mean, it's, it's a small airport. but uh, And, yeah, you can see all these airplanes parked on the ramp, a lot of airplanes parked on the ramp. It's just got yeah, one, one runway. Place. But, but it's, uh, it looks like a nice little airport, and uh, I've got it on my list now of places to visit sometime soon. Hey, it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, it's been a, a good evening, and I've been having a blast watching the lightning out my yeah. window here. It's just like, uh, it's great flashes of lightning. Uh, cool. What a way to celebrate 150. I don't feel a bit over 59. <laughs> you go. got your fireworks show in already. You don't That's even right. have to worry about That's it. That's right. Who hey, and why? Jeb Burnside is uh, an aviation journalist, uh, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Uh, Jeb, tell us where people can find you on the Internet. My uh, my day job, aviationsafetymagazine.com. Um, personal, <clears throat> excuse me, personal website is jeburnside.com, and I might pop up on AvWeb from town from time to time. There you go. And uh, Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where are you on the internet? Oh, avbuyer.com gets the World Aircraft Sales stuff. Dave Higdon.biz gets my photography. Uh, Google me and find all sorts of other nonsense that I've done. AviationSafety.com, AEA.net, uh, or turn over a rock or flip a bad penny. That's right. And I am Jack. I just don't even know where to go with that. I am Jack I don't even, yeah. just, just Let's just get out of this before we get in. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at JackHodgson.com or AroundTheField.net. Big thanks go out to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes at Scoffrejet in the forums. Also, thank you to uh, Mike Morgan and Roy Searle, for, uh, and also to the many other listeners. You, you guys really go, man. Yeah, you, you, you guys I, I rock. You, you really I got do. A comment, I got a comment back from the bride on that. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, yeah. In case Wolf. anyone doesn't right. know, these are the guys who, uh, the, all the folks who create the uh, fun uh, uh, show opening disclaimer clips that we have at the beginning. We just got a brand new one from Mike Morgan, which I think is what you're referring to, um, which I guess is the one we will have played at the beginning of this episode now because we want to kind of give people a chance to see what we're talking about. Wolf, but Wolf. Uh, they're all a lot of fun, and we really, really appreciate the effort and the thought that people put into those. Any any time the old Lassie, the old black and white Lassie TV show, the classic one. Uh, with June Lockhart, is is brought to my mind. I always think of June Lockhart's subsequent television role, which was as the mother in Lost in Space of the Sw- the Space Family there Robinson. There you go. Okay, and on uh, uh, on that note, I would just simply add, danger, Will Robinson, danger. <laughs> Warning. Warning. That's right. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled If you'd like jar. to see us hit 200, That's right. help out. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 5 or $10 over the span of a year is a big help to us. And don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Thanks to our listeners. And if you want to live longer, go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. Yes, indeed. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks for helping us get it to three years. TTFM. Thank you.
This is episode number one of the Unnamed General Aviation Podcast with Jeb Burnside, Dave Higdon, and Jack Hodgson. Recorded Tuesday, August 22nd, 2006. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.aroundthefield.net. I got got, got a two-word answer for that question, and the two words are air conditioning. What great timing for the guys in the light sport business to have gas prices rocketing out of sight like this. Well, here we are with the uh, first episode of our General Aviation Podcast, which is actually right now, it's still the no-name podcast. uh, It's one of the things we ought to talk about is uh, what we're going to call this thing, but... uh